Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all of the dumb things that people will do for love. Welcome to episode 69. 69. Do I need to make a 69 joke? No, I don't think so. Are we too mature for that? No, I Are just can't think of Are we in our 40s now? <laughs> <laughs> Jen, stop telling people. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you want to be in your 40s, you can be in your 40s. <laughs> oh, God. I don't like to say I'm in my 40s. I'm 40. Can I just have this year to say I'm 40 and then next year I'll say in my 40s? How about that? Yeah. You okay. say whatever you want. I'm just remaining vague. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Jen, it's October. It is. It's my favorite Which month is, of the uh, year. Yeah, it's a it's a spooky month, and so it's perfect that our podcast curse has struck again. Yes, it has. If you guys don't know what our podcast curse is, it's every time we talk about something that we're excited about in the future, it fucking falls apart. And it doesn't happen. Immediately falls apart. the curse. Guess what happened? Remember how for the last two weeks I've been promoting this vegan Italian pop-up that was supposed to happen and I've been working my ass off, perfecting all of the dishes and cooking and cooking and cooking and promoting and taking professional pictures and getting everything together just for this one weekend? Well, vaguely. Do you remember? (laughs) I do remember vaguely, yeah. Long story short... The restaurant that we were supposed to do our pop-up and the gas was turned off and there is not a way to get it turned on in time for the pop-up. Therefore, we cannot cook anything. We can't (sighs) cook anything. So we had to cancel because – and I literally – the. When I got the phone call that we had to cancel, I had spent the entire day going to every grocery store under the sun buying hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of bulk groceries, which I then had to go drive back around to all of these places and be like, hey, remember these 40 boxes of tofu that I just bought from you? (laughs) I need to return them (laughs) right now. Remember this? They're not uh, good to me. 20 pounds of impossible meat that I just pulled off the shelves and put in my car. Never mind. I had to just give everything, return everything. And then the day after we promoted it on social media and I know got all you had this, just been like it's confirmed already- like we're doing it for real we're going all in with promotion and buying the stuff and not that you hadn't already put time into it but like I had to refund I- all of the pre-orders I um it was just it was not a good day for Mike and Mike Albanese my uh, partner on this uh, and I we had a very bad day that day <laughs> a very bad day <laughs> It's a very bad job. Sorry to laugh. I, <laughs> I mean, you just uh, have to. Right. Where you're you, just like, really? <laughs> <It's> like, okay. <laughs> right? Like, you couldn't have done this like six hours earlier? I know. <laughs> the gas was on on the last time we checked it like two days earlier. And then we went out, like, Mike went in to clear out the um, 
freezer for me because I was about to bring all the ingredients. And he was like, the gas isn't working. And so, yeah, it was, oh. (laughs) (laughs) COVID! COVID strikes again! (laughs) (laughs) What? else no i'm not gonna ask what else because no. then the universe will be like let me show you exactly <laughs> i know i know it's true it's true but well, dude, yeah i'm sorry that's okay i'm so sorry that that happened i i'm but i'm i am upset and disappointed for you and i am upset and disappointed for all of the rest of us who are gonna get to eat delicious food but i hope that just come over an, another opportunity i'll just <laughs> yeah, start just come i'll just start Handing food out my kitchen window. <laughs> ben was like, what can, what can we do to make this better? Like, maybe she she could use our house to cook if she wants. I was like, uh, have you been to our kitchen? <laughs> no, that is so nice. And actually, a, a bunch of friends uh, did offer that. But um, it was really nice of everyone that offered. But um, I, I just don't think that that would have worked. I know. I was like, we have like two working burners that work <laughs> some of the time. So I'm going to say no on that one. But thanks My for brother thinking in outside the like, box. Can I, get, can I get you some hot plates? Some- <laughs> no, thank I you. I always was like, what about like a like a camp stove with like some propane? <laughs> I was like, you know what, Sally? She's thought through this. She's thought through this. When I was like, can't you just get it turned back on? I'm sure you were like, oh, we tried. We tried. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Don't work all that right. way. Um, all right. Let's well, let's just, you know, cookies. yeah, let's just get into some <laughs> cookies. I guess I'm uh, starting this week and and it's a good one. Um, oh, good. So this was for Fox 6 Now and it doesn't say who the author is. Somebody that mm. works for Fox 6 Now. But Anonymous. Um, you know how you, you've talked about Reddit's wedding shaming forum? Uh-huh. You love Wait, it. Is it the what, am, am I an asshole or? What? No. There's a, no, there's a Reddit asshole. forum called like. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, there's a Reddit forum called like, am I being the asshole? And then the person will like put their dilemma and then everybody will chime in about whether they are the asshole. Oh my God. I need that forum. <laughs> I always it's need great. to know if I'm the asshole. Okay. I'm going to check that out. <laughs> it's called, and it, you can find it on Twitter too. It's like, I want to say it's like, there's like an acronym for it of like, am I being the asshole here? I can't remember what you guys. Oh my God. I need that in my life because my (laughs) friends are so tired of my bullshit of me texting them being like, I call you how Sally, how many times have I called you? Been like, Sally, am I being the asshole? But how many times you're never being the asshole, Jen, you're never being the asshole. (laughs) Sometimes I'm an asshole. Um, (laughs) But on this um, wedding, uh, on this uh, Reddit's wedding shaming forum, which I've got to get on, um, apparently someone had posted a snapshot of this RSVP that was um, that was um, given out with the wedding invitations for people to fill out and return. And uh-huh. um, just going to read it to you, but it, the RSVP <laughs> says. So that we may prepare your preferred dinner, please circle your gift level and indicate a meal choice for each person in your party. So there are gift levels. If you give at a certain dollar amount gift level, you then have higher 
or better choices for food that night for your dinner. So a loving gift, which is up to $250, you get a roast chicken or swordfish. Those are your choices. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and um, a silver gift, which is from $251 to <laughs> the dollar makes a diff. Um, it from- does make a huge diff. <laughs> to $500, your choices are a sliced steak or poached salmon. Now, if you give a golden gift, which is $501 to $1,000, you can choose – oh, by the way, you can choose any of of the above choices, but you can also choose filet mignon or lobster tails. But if you give a platinum gift, which is $1,001 to $2,500, you can get – all of the above choices, or a two-pound lobster plus <laughs> a souvenir champagne goblet, like right <laughs> out of medieval times. Oh my god, this just reminds me a quick story. I'm sharing it because it's worth it. It's funny when I went and Bobby listens to this podcast. My brother Bobby, we went to medieval Uncle times. Baby Bobby. Uncle Baby Bobby. He went to Medieval Times. He took my daughter, because he's the best uncle, to uh, Medieval Times for her birthday. And um, Bobby, who always just loves to go out, like go all out on everything. Like he bought her, you know, the big crazy hat and the this and the whatever. But then for himself, he went to go order a drink. And it was out of this like leather um, encased like horn that you drink out of and <laughs> oh, it, it yeah, was yeah. like something like <laughs> like $80 or something. And he asked this like teenage waitress, he goes, um, so what's up with this like leather horn thing or whatever? And she, she goes, um, yeah, it's like $80. And he goes, yeah, but is it worth it? And she just <laughs> looks at him with her t- like little like 16 year old eyes and shakes her head and goes, no. <laughs> He's a grown man. And this teenager was like, no. Buy a $80 goblet to drink a drink out of. But it was like so funny. Oh, Bobby. We went to one time we were at the movie theater and I was getting snacks and I got like some candy. And the teenager, she I mean, she was like at like 15, who was she was like, you know you can get this at the dollar store for fifty. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, but I'm here," and uh, she was like, "All right," <laughs> kind of like, "You're an idiot, <laughs> dude." I love teenagers that work at grocery store. I love teenagers at movie theater. I love teenagers <laughs> working. I just like I have such a place in my heart for them. I love their attitudes. Right. Um, like it's like. We don't get a lot of that downtown. There's just, I feel like there's not a lot of teenagers that work in the city. Am I wrong? But like when you go in the suburbs, like if I go out to my parents' house or whatever, like Publix, everybody that works there is a teenager. Yeah. Yeah? Maybe it's because, well, probably because it's a lot of younger families in the in the city, in the city and yeah. also people are like, I got to work. I don't need, I can't, yeah. I mean, we can't have teenagers working at these jobs. There's grown people who need to pay their rent. Man, yeah, <laughs> but there is nothing that I like better than a teenager rolling her eyes while she hands me my IHOP pancakes. And I mean that. <laughs> I mean it. I love it. 
<laughs> so, it's like, I have been you. I know. <laughs> um, so, God, I, I've always said, too, like, there's nothing that I love more than seeing, like, a family of rich people with one gothic teenager at a fancy oh, dinner. Yes. I love it. But anyway, yes. back to this quickie. <laughs> and then it says, this. Uh, please indicate... Your preference, the souvenir champagne goblet is only available at the platinum gift level. The fa- <laughs> in case somebody wanted to order one on the side, uh, the yeah. fa- the favor of your reply is requested by the thirteenth of September. So of course. Of course, everyone is losing their shit over this on Reddit. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I just who wants ever a- given a gift that was over $250. No, that's the thing. Now I feel like shit because I don't even know that I would I like I mean I guess maybe it's different and you guys need to tell me am I outdated but I always thought 100 for, you know, an acquaintance for a great friends I'll spend like 2250. Is that yeah. right? It seems like a lot to me. Family member? But like <laughs> I would barely even get a morsel. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't get a chicken sandwich at this wedding because of the like how much these people are expecting. Well, I also am like meals are not the like that's not the motivator to spend a lot of money on a gift. Like it doesn't matter where you go. Wedding food is shit. So I know this just so crass. It's so crass and it's so like gimme gimme and like an obvious like money grab and that's oh it's, it's just gross. Such a bad luck it's a bad luck one person wrote um everyone should just say that their gift was over a thousand eat the two pound lobster and laugh thinking about the couple opening their 40 dollar toaster later <laughs> <laughs> that is a great idea um or just don't go <laughs> this just doesn't sound yeah. like a wedding i would want to be at but um yeah that's that's pretty much all this article says oh about God. that, but it's just so insane. And I really hope that this is not a trend going forward. Uh, please, people, do not do this. And also, oh, let us know if... an asshole. Like, yeah. Also, tell me, <laughs> am I the asshole for spending $100? Am I the no, asshole? Tell me. Okay. It costs a lot of money to go to a wedding. Like, people should not expect gifts... Like it is not, I mean, of course I'm going to give a gift if I go to a wedding, but it's not like, that is not why you have a wedding. Yeah. That's not why you have a wedding. You have a wedding to be married to the person. I know. I know. Okay. All right. All right. Mike has, my quickie has to do with a wedding also. Surprise, surprise. Um, Okay. So my, this is from the New York Post by Kirsten Fleming and the New York Times by Alex Strauss. So Jen, do you ever read the New York Times vows section? Um, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> You're like, is there a murder I, section? No. Yeah. <laughs> Page well, six. You, yes. <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, it's obviously they uh, they write about gorgeous people or very accomplished people who are getting married. Rich people. Um, rich people rich getting people, married to other yes. rich people. <laughs> yes. So on August 7th of this year, there was a story about this gorgeous couple named Robert and Lauren. And the article talks about how they met in t- 
January of 2017 at a gym in Harlem. And Robert is a trainer and he owns like a fitness company, his own fitness company. And he noticed Lauren because she was like one of the few women who was working out and lifting weights. And she's also, of course, this like gorgeous, tall, stunning woman. Mm -hmm. So, um, so they chatted and then they ended up meeting for coffee and they were like, they were so into each other that after co- like they were sat for three hours drinking coffee and talking and then they both had to go to meetings, but they wanted to see each other so much that they met up again that night and talked until 3 a.m. So mm-hmm. Robert said in that article, like, you don't realize how many layers there are to your soul until someone peels them back. I could trust her on everything. So the story details like how he proposed in December of 2018 in their living room and she had young kids. And so he asked like very sweet, he asked the young kids permission and they were all set to get married this year until the pandemic, but they didn't want to wait. So they like pivoted their plans and they eventually did get married in this gorgeous black tie intimate wedding at this museum that had closed um, in Westport, Connecticut. And their stories show this beautiful, strong couple and I imagine that most people who read the article were inspired by their love story. Mm-hmm. But I knew there was a but. <laughs> like and for one, yeah, and what? Um, for one woman and her friends, the article was a bit of a shock. So Nikita Moreno was just like living her life when a friend called her and was like, Nikita, an article has come out about Rob. Don't read it. You'll only get upset. And so she started getting all these texts from families and friends about How this article. How do you not read it? You, you can't call your friend and say, this thing's coming out. Don't read it. Right. So she w- asked her friend to summarize it because she was like, I don't want to click on the link. And the reason the people were so upset was because the article stated that the couple had met in January of 2017. But in January of 2017, Nikita was married to Rob. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. And so in the article, Rob also said he had never been married. So Rob and Nikita had met in the summer of 2013 at a gym in Ast- near Astor Place. And he like – she was – walking outside and they locked eyes and he was like beckoned her inside and they became friends at first but by the winter of 2013 they were dating and living together in the upper west side and she said he was an old-fashioned gentleman if i finished work late he'd come and meet me i'm a professional dancer and he came to every performance he would make me breakfast in bed on December 23rd of 2015 they got married in a civil ceremony but they planned for a big wedding in August of 2017 in his hometown of Dallas. And they had put down a deposit on the venue. She had bought a wedding gown. Her family booked flights from Trinidad and from London, which is where she's from. And then in December of 2016, her mother, aunt, and cousin all flew from England to Dallas to meet Rob's mother and to look at the venue. And on that trip, they chose their menu. But then in March, just three months later, things changed abruptly. They went to Texas for Rob's friend's wedding and to finalize their own wedding details. And when they got back, like he was acting weird on the trip. And when they got back, he told Nikita that he needed space. And she was like, I think maybe wedding planning or work is like stressing him out. So she was like, I'm going to leave for a week and go stay with a friend. And then let's like talk when you get back. And when she came back, he just said, I want a divorce. And she was like, he just, a light switched off. He completely shut down. He wouldn't do counseling. And she was like, I wonder if he had like a medical issue. But like now, thanks to the article, she knows what happened. He'd met another woman. 
And so she had like, of course, suspected that he had cheated. But when she asked him about it, he denied it. And this is very sad. But the same month that Rob had asked Nikita for a divorce, she found out that she was pregnant. And Rob was like, I don't want anything to do with it. And she, unfortunately, I know, she ended up miscarrying that May. (gasps) And when she called him from the hospital to tell him what happened, he didn't even come to see her. Oh, my God. What a piece of shit. I know. So after they broke up and sorted out their paperwork, like they didn't ever speak again. Their divorce was official in early 2018. Uh, and then she sees this article. Like she saw said that like after the breakup, she worked really hard in therapy to get over the relationship. And of course, this like opened some old wounds. She said that even some of his family members have called and apologized. And but her friends who are kind of badass, like all called the New York Times and were like, you need to issue a correction to this vows article because it says that he's never been married before. Whoa. <laughs> and and so they did actually issue a correction. But Nikita says, if Rob and his new wife are meant to be together, I want them to be happy. I simply wish he had told me the truth. As for me, I've found love again. He's a wonderful person who ticks all the boxes. I believe everyone deserves a love story, one built on truth. It is possible to find happiness after the pain. Oh, man. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So that's my quickie. I mean, yeah, I I would be, like, definitely pissed, but also just, like, glad that he's not my problem anymore. Yep. You know? I know. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I remember in the past. Also, can you imagine? Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, and I remember being in a situation in the past where it was like a friend and then um, a guy that I was with ended up getting together and I was very, very upset and heartbroken and yeah. um, f- felt betrayed. But then when I found out that they were engaged, I was actually really happy because it, I was like, oh, like this is what, because that was supposed to be meant to be you know and I mean they were meant to be and we weren't and that makes me happy just be I don't know it just made me feel so much better if it was some like something that was like a throwaway relationship then I I would probably still be pretty pissed uh, or you know had hard feelings about it but yeah they ended up breaking up ultimately but at the time (laughs) when i heard they were engaged i was very happy Mm. (laughs) oh man yeah um but no but then be honest but they're both now very happily married to other people and everything's great i'm actually friendly with both of them and everything's great everything's great (laughs) everything's great (laughs) good for them good for them we're so happy for them pretty happy no i truly mean that though i really do i'm I'm Mm -hmm. just joking around i just made that Mm -hmm. noise for comedic value you know okay yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh crazy that's a crazy story wow it's crazy nuts do what i was supposed to well go ahead no as i say can you imagine the new wife it's like she got her thing, you know, she got this beautiful article in the New York Times vows and it's like these gorgeous pictures of them. And then like four days later, this article in the New York Post comes out basically being like, Ugh. your husband's a cheat. Your new husband, he's a dirty, dirty liar. And like, Ugh. yeah. Yeah, that does suck. Not I didn't a even good think start. about that part. Yeah. Not a good start to a Yikes. marriage. But 
Best of luck to everybody. Best of luck. We really, truly mean that. We really do. (laughs) (laughs) Are you ready for the crazy, crazy story? I'm ready. For this week? Okay, good. This story came from from an article for Whittier Daily News written by Ruby Gonzalez and uh, Wikipedia and also a little show called Scorned Love Kills. (laughs) Oh, they always have the good ones on there. Favorite. (laughs) Outside the hustle and bustle of the big city of LA, also known as Los Angeles, also known City of Angels, there was a small, like, really cozy town. It still exists. I don't know why I say what there was. It's still there. It's called uh, Whittier. (laughs) The town is called Whittier in California. Um, It's just like, you know, where people just kind of go to live quiet, peaceful suburban lives. And um, 1995 was home to 41-year-old Bruce Cleland. So Bruce Cleland was a very shy and reserved software designer. Uh, He designed software for TRW's aerospace section. Uh, Sounds very complicated. Though he was very successful at his job and he made good money um, and he was super likable. Everybody thought he was just such a nice guy. Because he was so quiet and reserved and shy, he never really had any luck with the ladies. He wasn't a very social person. So he was just like a real simple guy and he just lived a quiet life and he liked going. His favorite thing to do is to go to swap meets with his dad. One day when he was at a swap meet in 1995 in Santa Fe Springs, he noticed this beautiful woman sitting at a table selling spices at the swap meet. So he decided to strike up a conversation with her, and he was just instantly like smitten with her. The woman was 26-year-old Rebecca Quezada Salcedo. So Rebecca Salcedo, we'll just say for the rest of the time. He asked her out on a date. And they ended up going to uh, La Paria, which they're all over the place. I didn't know they were in California, too. Have you been to oh, La Paria? No. It's pretty good. They have good rice and beans. Okay. It's, a, it's like a chain Mexican restaurant. So they went out to eat, and um, the conversation just flowed really naturally. Like, she was just very lively and fun and vivacious, which he really enjoyed, you know, because he was more laid back. You know, it's nice to be with somebody who can kind of carry the conversation, make things fun. Yeah. And she was very funny, and she was likable, just beautiful. They were kind of the yin and, yin and yang, you know, like she was very outgoing and crazy and fun and he was very quiet. And so Bruce was obviously a huge change from the kinds of people that Rebecca would usually date. So she was always kind of a wild child. Uh, and she yeah. date she liked to date bad boys. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I everybody likes a bad boy. Um, so including on again, off again boyfriend that she had. Um, his name was Steve, and he was an exotic dancer. And they were always going back and forth, on again and off again. And they dated for many years, but it never really worked out. It was more the relationship was more just sexual and and it was always her taking care of Steve. He just kind of took advantage of her and stuff. But now like here she was at this dinner with this really nice guy and he was paying for her dinner, which, you know, she was used to being the one that paid for stuff. And so she saw 
a stability in Bruce that she really liked. Just like wanted to change from her party girl lifestyle and finally settled down with a nice guy. And so she showed Bruce a lot of attention and affection and he had never really had that from a woman. So he was eating it up, you know, and so their relationship progressed very quickly and they immediately became a couple. And so he spent a lot of time over at her house and she would cook him dinner and give him massages and stuff. Uh, But it never, I feel like all of these stories, they're like, they gave, she gave him massages. I don't, massage. Well, Well, here's the thing. So she would give him massages, but it never went any further than the massage because the thing about Bruce was that he had just never been with a woman. He was a virgin at 42 years old. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of a shocker. And it took him a long time to confess that to her because he was very embarrassed by it. Uh Um, But she actually said that she wasn't bothered by it and that she decided that, you know what, I used to be a bad girl and a party girl or whatever, and I don't want that life. I want this life. So I want our first time to be special. And so she told him that she wanted to save their first time together for when they got married. So Bruce was like, mm-hmm. well, let's fucking get married then. <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca, like, really does want to marry him, you know, again. And, she, you know, like I said, she wants stability. Of course, with him being super successful, you know, he would buy her things like all kinds of gifts, apparently cosmetic surgery, a car, a boat, a jacuzzi. Um, And he gave her a credit card to use whenever she wanted. And apparently about the breast augmentation surgery, the cosmetic surgery, um, she Uh did that on the down low on his credit cards and he never realized it. But and I guess he, he, since they weren't having sex, she, he, didn't, maybe he didn't see him. He didn't see the difference. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He, you know, obviously was such a nice guy. You know, here he is like, that's okay. Let's save ourselves for marriage. And then uh, gave her the world and he gave her a credit card. And, you know, he was this, like super nice guy. But of course, Rebecca ended up falling back into her bad girl ways. Yeah. Um, so unbeknownst to him of course she started seeing steve again the exotic dancer and so while she was in in a committed relationship to bruce she began began sleeping with steve again and but steve also had other girlfriends and which she didn't like but so to keep steve's attention to keep him wanting to be with her she would buy him things and pay for all of his dinners and buy him gifts oh. and she uh used Bruce's credit card to pay for it. So she even gave Steve the credit card and would tell him like that he could use it for whatever he wanted. So he got this card, free credit card to use whenever he wanted. And he got to have sex with her whenever he wanted, you know what I mean? So he was thrilled, but Bruce had no idea of course. And he, here he is sitting here thinking that Rebecca is not only not having sex with other people, but that he's she's saving herself for him, you know? Right. So one day... He's getting, getting, like, lame massages. Yeah, he's just getting massages. So one day, Bruce surprises Rebecca 
by purchasing this huge, new, beautiful new home. It was like 4,000 square feet. It had a pool. It was just this like, amazing home. And when he surprises her with the house, he also surprises her with a proposal and a giant, ridiculous, like, I think it was, they said it was like a, well, I think $10,000 for a wedding ring is expensive, but on Real Housewives, it's not. But anyway, but it was a $10,000 ridiculous uh, diamond wedding ring. She, of course, said yes, and she was stoked, and he was stoked, but they were both thrilled. But then Rebecca tells him that the thing is, I don't think that it's right if we live together before we're married. So I'm going to need you to not live at this house that you just bought me until we're married. And he agreed. And he let her have the house. And Rebecca just lived in this giant-ass house by herself. This is why you should just have sex. Just have sex. Yeah. Because his mind is so fogged. I know. He's like, whatever you want. Of having sex. Here's my credit card. Here's a house. Here's whatever. And she's just like, okay, let's just hold on. If he just had sex, all the mystery would be gone. She would probably just be, it's like she would change from, I don't know. Oh, yeah. No. And your point, your point will be made even more when, when you let me finish. So. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just, trying, just trying to be engaged. I'm kidding. I'm you kidding. Know? You are. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, okay. It's so good. I'll just sit quietly. <laughs> so here, no, Liz. I want you to. I want you to engage because your points <laughs> have merit. Okay. Thank so um, thank you, Jen. <laughs> here, welcome, Sal. Um, so. Here she is, like, living in this giant house, and so she starts showing it off to all of her friends and family, like, look at my new life, look at my new house, you know? And then mm-hmm. she even invited her cousin, Alvaro, to come live with her for free because she has all the space. She's like, yeah, come live here, live in this awesome house, swim in my pool. Um, so they are still planning on getting married, and she's you know, they're going through the motions of planning a wedding. So, of course, the main thing that Rebecca is focused on was the bachelorette party. Um, <laughs> so she had this, like, big bachelorette party at her house. And, of course, it was this, like, wild night of debauchery, um, including, like, two different strippers that were there. And the strippers that she hired to dance uh-huh. at her bachelorette party were Steve. Of course. And also her cousin Alvaro. No, isn't gross. that so weird? Yeah, yeah. It's like no, I don't, I don't, I don't like. And so anyway, so at the end of the night, Rebecca, of course, ends up sleeping with Steve. Um, of course, uh-huh. and not only does she sleep with Steve though, but apparently she also ended up having sex with her friend Debbie, that was a guest at the party. Uh, so she just, say her cousin Alvaro. No, like, no, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, so all the while, like while she's at his house having this bachelorette party, sleeping with two different people, like he's at Bruce the Virgin is at his other home thinking that she's saving himself for him but rebecca tells herself that like this is her last hurrah before she settles down with bruce so in january of 1997 bruce and rebecca finally got married they had a very nice wedding i did read in another article that they actually had a private ceremony before that that none of the family was invited to but then they had a wedding later that everyone was invited to and it was a big hurrah 
So now they're married and it's time for the sex. Mm-hmm. Time for the sex. And so Bruce at this point is now, you know, a 42-year-old virgin and he's been waiting a very long time. And they finally try to consummate their marriage. But after mm-hmm. all that waiting, Bruce was unable to perform. Ooh. I guess the pressure was just too much, you know? Yeah, that's a lot of long, long time. Yeah. To wait. Yeah. And so... she was devastated and she called all of her friends crying to them like, Oh my God, I can't believe this. I got married and you know, and he can't even perform. And, and Bruce of course feels like absolute shit. He's been waiting his whole life for this. And now he's embarrassed and he feels like he can't make his wife happy. And apparently they tried on many other occasions. Like they kept trying, but he just couldn't uh, get it up. I guess. And so, of course, it affected their marriage. You know, there was all this tension and Rebecca would pick fights with him. And only four months into their marriage, during an argument, Rebecca called the police on him and had Bruce removed from the house. So he was removed from the house. She's living in the house again by herself. Um, But but Bruce still wanted to make it work and he was trying to get her to go to counseling with him. But Rebecca wanted winter Bruce and told him that she wanted him to sign a separation agreement to where she would get to live in the house while he paid the mortgage and gave her money. No. And he of course refused. And then when he refused, she apparently threatened that she was going to claim that um, he molested. But see, in the in one article, they never. um, Apparently, she had a son from a previous relationship. It was never mentioned on on Scorn, and it was never mentioned in any of the articles that I read. But in this one article, it said that when he refused to give pay the mortgage and give her money while she lived in the house. She threatened that she would claim that he molested her son from a previous marriage. So apparently there was a child involved. Um, So Rebecca, of course, starts looking into getting a divorce. um, And while she's living in the house by herself, she allows her cousin Alvaro to move back in. And of course she starts sleeping with Steve again and spending all of her money on Steve. But when Bruce notices that the bills, you know, are all things like, you know, men's underwear and stuff that right. he would buy. <laughs> little little G-string. Yeah, yeah. G-strings. No, that's exactly <laughs> like, right. That's like, it. Why do these tear away? <laughs> yeah. Like there was male stripper clothes on the, <laughs> on the credit card receipts. And so he then like has all the cards shut off. And so the money train stops for Rebecca, Steve and Alvaro. So all of them stop making money. And so when Rebecca realizes that she needs him in order to fund her lifestyle, she, she goes back to Bruce and on July 27th, 1997, she invites him out to dinner at the same La Paria as the first date. And you know, wants to talk to him about maybe if they could work things out. So he, of course, wants nothing more than to stay married to her, even though she's psycho, but he wants to stay married to her and they agree to work on the marriage. And so Rebecca then was like, well, why don't you come back to the house tonight, you know, and invites him back to their house just so that they could sleep together. But 
They okay, never this made is not it. Not gonna go well for him. No, it didn't. <laughs> it doesn't. So they never made it back to the house. And at 1 a.m. that evening, police arrived at a scene on an East LA street where their car was stopped. And next to the passenger side of the door laid the body of Bruce Cleland. He had been shot multiple times. And when they got there, Rebecca was confused and disoriented. She had told the police that she had been knocked unconscious. So she tried to tell them what she could remember. And what she told them was that when they were driving home, Rebecca stopped the car because she saw a a warning light on her dashboard saying that the trunk was open. So... Uh When she stopped the car to go shut it, when they were at this stop sign, she suddenly was knocked unconscious. And when she woke up, she woke up um, to Bruce laying there dead. And so this is what she tells the police. And then she suddenly like grabs her finger and starts screaming like, oh my God, my wedding ring was stolen. My wedding ring was stolen. And mm-hmm. so the police examiners examine her head and everything because she told them that she was knocked unconscious and they tell her that, you know, she's okay to go home. So when she goes home, they, that's when the police start to investigate the scene. They see that Bruce was shot once in the face, but then he must have run out of the car and tried to run. And then that's when he was shot two two more times in the back of the head. When they interviewed neighbors, a neighbor saw that they saw a guy running off, jump into a car, and then speed off. So at the time, police determined that this was a robbery and carjacking gone wrong. Right. So they had the funeral for Bruce, and Rebecca's very upset. People noted that she was like wailing and screaming and just very distraught. Police are still looking into lead on who could have done this, And detectives are thinking like, you know, maybe this wasn't a carjacking because they didn't take the fucking car. It's like they didn't take the car. She had a purse inside. They didn't take her purse. It's like, no, it's not like a robbery or a carjacking, you know? And so it's not a random thing if somebody is like, I bet someone has a $10,000 ring. No, like you, if you're going to do that, you're there for the car. Yeah. Everything else is gravy. yeah. I mean, I don't want to tell carjackers how to do their jobs. But, <laughs> but you, you jack the car. <laughs> you jack um, the car. <laughs> so so they start to ask around to all of Rebecca's and Bruce's friends, trying to get more information. They, have, uh, of course, talked to her cousin, Alvaro, who lives with her. And mm-hmm. he tells them that that night he was out drinking with Steve, mm-hmm. the other guy. So the police then go and question Steve. And he admits that he had an affair with Rebecca. And he says, yeah, she paid for all my stuff. And it was great. But he says that he had nothing to do with Bruce's death. Like he said, I was at work all night long dancing. I was at the strip club. And there was like a ton of witnesses there and saw all saw him and his alibi checked out. But when his alibi checks out, then that discredits Alvaro's alibi. Ah, yeah. Because he said he was with him. So they start to look more into Alvaro. And then they see on phone records that Rebecca and Alvaro had spoken a million times that night of the death, uh, the night that he was killed. And then they can even see that his cell phone at the time of the murder could be tracked 50 feet away from the crime scene. So they basically place him at the crime scene. Right. And police are convinced that he has a, his motive was that he was living in this huge house for free on Bruce's dime, you know? And so 
They also see on Rebecca's phone records a bunch of numbers and they call all the numbers. And when they call this one number, it was a woman picked up and she said that she had gotten a wrong number call that night from another woman. She said that this that someone had called looking for someone named Jose Casada. But it was a wrong number, but Jose Casada is the name of one of Rebecca's cousins, who was another one of Rebecca's cousins, who was a criminal, and he was also a gang member. He had, like, a long criminal history, and Mm -hmm. he was in a gang. And so when the police then show the pictures to the neighbor that that had witnessed someone running away, showed pictures of Jose and Alvaro, they were able to ID Jose as the person that was running away. So the police then assumed that Jose killed Bruce and Alvaro drove the getaway car. So even though they have all of this info and they know that Rebecca is at the middle of all of it, they still don't have enough to arrest her. When they continue with the investigation and talking to all of her friends, they they go to a woman named Beth Lamb, who was Bruce and Rebecca's wedding photographer, um, and they ask her if they had a picture of the wedding ring. You know how they always do those like up close oh, wedding mm-hmm. ring photos because they wanted to see a picture of this ring that was stolen. Maybe they could track down this ring. You know, look in pawn shops, all that stuff. But when they tell the photographer the reason that they want the picture was because the that the ring was stolen, she says, "No, it wasn't. She was wearing it at the funeral." She was like the Idiot. ring. I know she said the the ring. You know, so big and so noticeable. She definitely saw it at the funeral. So then the police go and they surprise Rebecca by going to her home. She doesn't know they're coming. And when they come to the door, Rebecca keeps like it seems really uneasy, and she keeps putting her hands in her pockets. Mm-hmm. And then when she sits down, she sits on her hands. And then the police, <laughs> I'm just very cold. I know. And then. The the police um, made her show them her hands, and of course, there was the ring. Like what a, a f- dum dum fucking Scooby Doo episode. <laughs> <laughs> She had the ring on. So they... I um, would have gotten away with it. it You darn photographer. She peels her face off. Um, So (laughs) it was the old man who runs the abandoned amusement park. Um, So anyway, so then they arrest her, uh, Rebecca, and they arrest both of her cousins, Jose and Alvaro. But Rebecca still sticks to her story that it was a carjacking, but nobody is buying it. Um, right. You know, not only does she have the ring, but she had also apparently taken out a JCPenney life insurance policy for $25,000. <laughs> on life insurance now? <laughs> I guess. Um, and she had forged his signature on it. Also, she was set to inherit um, 9,800. There's so many numbers in this. I'm just going to say, okay, I'm, I'll read them all. 986688. Uh, <laughs> 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 $9,086,688 life insurance policy. Uh, a salary. <laughs> 
Um, his salary and also a retirement account. So mm-hmm. she stood to gain nearly $1 million from his death. Um, that's, e- that's an easier number. Yeah, I know. I'm like, can, I, can I round up? So she had contacted um, a lawyer a Apparently, before he, when she was wanting to get a divorce, she had contacted a lawyer and asked them, you know, what am I, would I get? What am I entitled to? And they told her, like, look, you're not really entitled to anything. Like, you might get a small percentage of a house, like a small percent, just like for the eight months that you guys have been married. But yeah, that's it. So if they divorced, she would get nothing. But if she, he died, she would get everything. So. Right. And then also four paramedics that all examined her that night of the murder, they all testified that when they examined her, they didn't see any signs that she had been struck and knocked unconscious. She had no injuries. Um, she had so, no injuries? No Dumb. injuries. So I know. She like just laid on the ground and was like, oh, my head. <laughs> and so after only a few hours, jurors found all three of them guilty and sentenced them all to life without parole. And according to the Los Angeles Deputy uh, County Deputy District Attorney Craig Hum, who prosecuted the case, he said it was all about the money. She was evil, evil because she took advantage of this poor guy's na- naivete and killed him for his money. Mm. And that is the sad, sad story of Bruce Cleveland. Poor guy. I know. I know. Man. Yeah. Well, have the sex. Have the sex. That's my. You guys don't save yourselves for marriage. <laughs> I mean, do do what you do it. Everyone, do it. Everyone, but do yeah, everyone. I yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just it's so sad, and um, I hate that this man gave her everything, just wanted to be married, loved her and trusted her, and she was probably from the jump just using him for his money. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, that's pretty obvious. Well, that's fucked up, man. That's Damn. real fucked up. Dude, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you should be. You but should be so sorry. You did uh, ask you- for it. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. Damn it. Uh, well, do you want to hear a love story? Um, yes, I do. Let's hear a, a real palate cleanser. I don't know that this is the most of a most palate cleanser. There oh, are no. some there are some a couple of low points in this story. But we're gonna go to Happy Town. Okay. But also then some adjacent not so happy towns. So okay. Mostly Happy Town. All right. This okay. is from um an article in The Guardian and a letter submitted to uh, a newspaper called The Age, both by Monica Hinston. And then an article in the Sydney Morning Herald, an interview with Monica Hinston and Peg Moran on the Australian radio show Compass. So this is the love story of Monica Hinston and Peg Moran. Okay. Okay. When Australian Monica Hinston was 21, she got married to Christ. Hmm. Yeah, she became a nun. And I'm not sure if women still do this, but when they enter the convent, but this was in 1962. And then women who wanted to be nuns were literally dressed in wedding gowns and veils and became brides of Christ. Like that was the ceremony. No, I didn't know that. Yes, you have to see like there is a picture of her in a wedding gown and she's like has a veil. There's little kids attendants. 
And yeah, so then at that point, into they're given like their habits at that ceremony. And she had come from a strong Catholic family. She went to Catholic schools. She said the rosary every night. She went to Sunday mass. And in fact, her cousin was actually the Roman Catholic Archbishop of Sydney. His name was Cardinal George Pell. And Monica kind of looked at joining the convent as almost like an adventurous step. You know, she was young. She was like, you know, my I believe in God and this is something I can do that would be um, I could do like amazing work with this group of women. And and so at first she really liked it. She became a teacher, which she loved. But after a bit, she began to doubt her choice of devoting her life to the church. Like she came kind of disillusioned with some of the church's teachings. And so she ended up taking a leave of absence and she traveled to South America But she actually ended up, she traveled around for a while and then she ended up going back to the convent after that trip. And she says she like, she doesn't know exactly why, but because she still had her doubts, but she kind of was like, this is my home, right? Mm -hmm. So she ended up, she was back in Australia. She got her social work degree. She started working in a community health center with migrants and refugees and she loved her work. She became involved in Amnesty International and started working on global issues And she was invited by another nun to work in Nicaragua, but her request was actually denied by the governing board of nuns because they were like, it's too dangerous there. And so instead, she was offered the opportunity to go to Chile, where there were already two Australian and two American nuns working in this community in Santiago. And so when she arrived in Santiago, Chile in 1983, she met another Franciscan nun whose name was Peg Moran. And Peg had been working in Chile for 17 years. She was American. She was from Iowa. And Monica says it wasn't love at first sight. But so they met briefly. And then a few months later, she and Peg were on on a bus ride to a fishing village. And she says that meeting, like she fell head over heels for Peg. Monica says it was almost as if we were desperately trying to show each other who we were in the time we had. I felt like I might not have another chance. So like, you know, you know, when you like meet someone and you're like instantly connected and you're just like, yeah, a mile a minute. Do you like pizza? I like pizza. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So they were like inseparable after that. And they're, you know, they're working in the same community. And then so for months they were forming this relationship, but it wasn't physical, but it was, they, it was obviously they were following, falling in love. So Mm -hmm. about four months, they kind of kept up this, you know, what are we going to do? And they ended up moving in together, but they knew in order to live an authentic life that they could not stay with the Catholic church because the Catholic church condemned homosexual relationships. So Mm -hmm. they said they knew they couldn't remain in their congregations. And Monica said, love is a wonderful thing. When it happens, you want to shout it from the rooftops. You want the world to know about this extraordinary experience, but the world didn't want to know about us, the homosexuals. Mm. In fact, there were many who preached that hate, discrimination, even death were only fitting for the likes of us. So they wrote to the Catholic hierarchy in Rome, and they asked to be set free from their vows, and their, their request was approved. And so they continued to live and work together in Chile for nine years. And even though they were living under a brutal military dictatorship under Pinochet, they were inspired by the women they worked with and by their friendships and the people they met. They both ran illiteracy and mental health programs in the shanty towns of Santiago. And in 1992, they ended up moving back to Australia, where they continued to do good work. 
and they live this happy, fulfilling life together. That Monica's family was extremely supportive, which was, you know, kind of surprising coming from this very strict Catholic family. Like her siblings mm-hmm. had actually gone to Chile for Monica's 50th birthday. And she said that Monica like broke the news that she and Peg were in a relationship. And her sister was like, it was so exciting. I was just so happy for them. Oh, and even that's like good. Yeah, even her like old school Catholic father was lovely. Like Peg actually said, Monica's father, I've always felt really huge acceptance and love from him, probably more than acceptance. I just feel part of the family. And in fact, he often refers to me as his fifth daughter. And Monica's mother, who was 85 when Monica came out, said to her, like after Monica and Peg came and kind of talked about it, she she called Monica that night and said, I've been thinking about it. And I just want to say this. I've taught you girls all your life to stand tall and be who you are and to be strong. And I want to tell you now that you stand tall and you walk your own path. And she said, to hell with the buggers who oppose you. That's just yeah. so sweet. To yeah. hell with the buggers. Hell with the buggers. Um, so in this is, they're Australian. So it makes, maybe, can you say that in an Australian accent? You know I can't, but you know I will. <laughs> no, I won't. I can't do it on the spot. I I can't do it because we have Australian listeners, and I don't want (laughs) to. I can't. (laughs) All right. You guys, (laughs) just if you could record yourself saying, to hell with the buggers who oppose you, then and then we can get a vibe, and then we'll play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what happened. I'm sure somebody will send that in. So, okay, so then in 2003, so they they came back to Australia in, like, 1992. So they were living there for 10 years. A pretty happy life. They had a community. They were doing good work. In 2003, the Vatican issued an edict to all of the Catholic bishops in every diocese across the globe. And the Roman cardinals described homosexuals as seriously depraved and evil. And they directed their instructions to Catholic politicians, telling them that they were morally obligated to oppose any legislation that would grant homosexuals equal rights. And they said, the, this edict said that if such laws already existed, they were to do all in their power to repeal them. And even though Monica and Peg were no longer with the church, the fact that this edict was aimed at all people, not just Catholics, and was meant to deprive gay people of basic human rights incensed the two, as it should have incensed everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and Monica and Peg, who had, they had fought for aboriginal land rights and against nuclear proliferation, had never campaigned for gay rights before, but they thought the time had come now to fight for their own interest. And Monica said, for the first time in all the causes, I'm the one who's affected. Even in Chile, I was protecting someone else's human rights. I was fighting for someone who had no voice. This time I'm fighting for myself. So Monica thought the best thing she could do was to use her personal connections. And she wrote a letter to her cousin, George Pell, who was the archbishop. And they weren't close, but they were family. Like he had visited her and had met Peg when Monica was in the hospital a couple years earlier. And in the letter, she challenged him to look her in the eye and described her as seriously depraved. She said, I asked him to consider what he was doing to people like us, the harm his church was inflicting, and much more. And he ignored her letters. And after several attempts to contact him, she asked the newspaper The Age to publish it in a an open letter. And so they did. And that letter in the in part said, it is our relationship not – so it kind of talked about the good they had done, all of this, you know, the work they'd done for others. And then she said, it's our relationship, not who we are, what we do for others, that have 
that is of prime concern to the Vatican prelates. Let me describe for you, George, the relationship of 19 years. It is a rare and precious gift, a partnership of sensitivity and selflessness, of warmth and humor, of wonder and beauty. It is fundamental to my personal growth. It has enabled me to face my own formidable challenges with courage. It daily enriches me. It empowers me to work on for the well-being of others, to accept, appreciate, and value the richest and diversity of individuals. In short, it is life-giving. Numerous people who know us as a couple have wanted to know the secret of what makes our relationship so special. Many of those who ask that question are heterosexual couples whose own relationships are sadly lacking what we experience. The gifts we have received from each other and consequently consequently are able to give to others would be values and ethics the Vatican portrays as intrinsic to basic Christian life. She asks what basis the church had for opposing the union other than that it's not producing children. And she wrote, no, we're not reproducing ourselves, but is that the prime reason for our existence? If so, then you and I, George, should have been quietly disposed of long ago. She said, what I'm really wanting for you, George, is a response that is personal, that comes from the heart, that is based on your knowledge of who I am, simply a response of one human being to another striving to live a life as it should be lived. All I ask is that you consider what you act, what you are actually saying to thousands like us, that you actually hear and reflect on what we tell you our life experience, that you, that you understand we are people who live ethical, highly principled moral lives, an asset to any society striving to engender loving, committed relationships to its citizens. So this is this beautiful letter. She publishes yeah. it. They publish it. And then in response, Cardinal Pell gives a short statement to the Herald, and he says, the church's views are well known and will not change. I support them. In these situations, the first 11 verses of chapter 8 of St. John's Gospel give food for thought. I wish Monica well and acknowledge the contribution she has made. I continue to regret the path she has chosen. Mm. And I know, this is pretty shitty. but Very shitty. So if if the name Cardinal George Pell sounds familiar, it's because he's the most senior Catholic cleric to have ever been convicted of child sex abuse. Oh, geez. So he was actually convicted in December of 2018 of abusing two choir boys while he was archbishop in Melbourne in the 1990s. Motherfucker. But then, I know. In April this year, his conviction was overturned. So this decision actually means that he has been released from prison after having served – 13 months of a six-year sentence. And oh my God. this story is not about him, so I don't know the ins and outs of his case, but I will say that Wikipedia, his Wikipedia page is very thorough, so if you want to learn more about, about his accusations and his conviction, there's tons out there on that. But the, at the time, the response from Cardinal Pell, this was in 2003, so it, it was disappointing, but the response from the public was overwhelmingly positive. And... In the years that followed, actually, this edict from the Vatican were mostly ignored in Australia, and eventually the laws changed to give equal rights to gays and lesbians. And Peg and Monica decided that if marriage equality was ever passed, they would have a big public ceremony with a big party. They thought that this could be their contribution to basically eliminating gay people as second-class citizens. And that law was passed on December 7th of 2017. And Monica watched that news alone because Peg had died six years earlier of gallbladder cancer. So Monica says, my tears flowed on one hand for joy for all of those who would benefit from this huge shift in society. 
And on the other hand, in deep sadness, because we would not be able to step out together in a public ritual and declare to all and sundry, look how we love one another. Peg had her joy of living and her fun-filled nature would have made it the most memorable wedding ever. I cannot put into words how much I miss her touch and her tenderness every single day. And Monica says, though, that she and Peg enjoyed 27 beautiful years together. And she says, the love I had for Peg and hers for me just made it so clear that it was such a beautiful gift. It's so obvious that you have something that you will go through hell and high water for. And that's my love story. Oh, I mean, I do love, I love their love story. I love that they spent 27 long years together. I hate that they yeah. uh, went through what they went through. And I, the archbishop could fuck off. Yeah, he can fuck right off. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, it's a – I love their love. I'll say that. I'll lo- I yeah, love their love. The, I know. I'm like, I wish I <laughs> that was, like, more towards the beginning, the sad part. <laughs> and then the happy part was at the end. But, you know – this is the real life. It's real life, man. It is. It is real life. Yeah. Thank you for sharing, Sally. Thanks. Hey, you're welcome. Thank you're you. Welcome. <laughs> um, yeah. Should we get into uh, something dumb and something we love? Okay. I'm ready. Go first. Okay. Well, I guess my something dumb this week, besides the debates, uh, which I'll let you take over. <laughs> uh, the was I guess for me was just the whole having to cancel the thing that I've been working my butt off for. But uh, yeah, the, but that's okay. That's life. This life, just like you just said, it's life. Life mm-hmm, happens. Life. There's ups and there's downs and there's all arounds. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the the thing that I love is that it actually then freed up a lot of free time for me this week to where I can actually just relax. And last Uh night I was like, Mike had texted me and said, how are you feeling better? Mike, who I was doing the pop-up with. Yeah. And uh, he said, how are you feeling better? And I, at that moment I had been laying under my weighted blanket, had just taken a Xanax and I was watching the great (laughs) British baking challenge and a breaking show. And I was on, uh, in heaven, (laughs) whereas I would have been running around like a lunatic, stressing myself out and pulling my hair out. So I was like, you know what, Mike, I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> so the good thing is, uh, it freed up a lot of free time to 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 just relax and self care mm-hmm. and chill a little bit, chill yeah. a little bit, which is something also, I need more of in my life. Let me ask you this: How hilarious were those face cakes <laughs> on the Great British Bake Oh, my God. <laughs> those were they, the worst. That's were like nailed it level. They, that's what I was thinking. But that is a huge showstopper challenge to have to yes. do. Like that should be that should be like the final. Like was I was really surprised that that was for them. <laughs> too much. Nobody could pull it off. No. Nobody could pull it off. But I did really love the Freddie Mercury cake and it looked delicious. <sighs> I no, I it made me laugh. The whole thing made me laugh really hard. Just yeah, how, how bad it was. Um, yeah, but I I'm also very happy that the Bake Off is back. 
Oh, me too, dude. Yeah, me baby. too. Me too. Um, and I'm very sorry that you're the stupid gas went off. That's okay. You Super know, bombs. Like but I I'm said, that you got your weighted blanket. Exactly. <laughs> and your Xanax. I love my, it's weighted blanket <laughs> weather, people. I finally brought it back out. Summer's over. It's cold outside. It's time for me and my weighted blanket to reunite. <laughs> I mean, we're saying it's cold outside and it's 70. So <laughs> that's cold enough. It's cold in Atlanta. <laughs> um, so my, I think my dumb thing is that your thing got canceled too. Oh no, don't let my dumb thing be your dumb thing. There's so many dumb things in the universe. (laughs) I mean, I I, be on your mark, on your scale. It is on my scale. It's on my, you're on my scale. You're Um, the best. So I think that's super dumb. I mean, I would say the debates, but I I didn't watch it because I also believe in self-care. And and Ben watched it in one room and then I watched a movie called Love Guaranteed in the other. (laughs) How is that movie? I've seen it, but I haven't committed to it. I mean, I would only commit if you're like, I'm really in the mood for a very predictable, somewhat charming rom-com. Yeah. It's, It's not great, but it's not bad. You know what I just <laughs> watched, which is like you have to be in the mood for like Zach refused to watch it. And I was like, fine, I'll go take my computer into the living room and I will watch it there. But I watched the the new American Murder documentary about Chris Watts on Netflix. Oh, Ooh, you have to like, it's yeah. hard. It is hard to watch. Yeah. But it is like. I just couldn't look away because every time it was, it was basically like I all the police cam footage, behind the scene footage of every moment of of him coming home in the investigation, even like her coming home the night before, and oh. it's it's like all so documented, and you're just looking at him like you just killed your family an hour ago, right? And you are sitting here looking like. Like pulling off all of these like lies and talking to the police, like yeah, I don't know, like uh, I don't see their their baby blankets aren't here, you know, just like right. and lying through your teeth when you know and looking at his face and knowing that you just did the the most horrific thing anyone could do. You were yeah. a monster, but then just seeing his face hours out, it's so fucked up. It's yeah. so fucked up, and uh, yeah, I was just it's reading heartbreaking. an article about that. I was like, yeah. yeah. So I recommend it if you're ready. You got to be mentally prepared for something like that, right? You got to know what you're getting into. Yeah, it's not a not a fun romp. Yeah, um, just wanted to okay, bring that so, up. Oh yeah, no, that's. Um, I will not be watching it, but I will read an article about it. But I, so I love that the Bake Off was back, um, and also I love. I just put found this extension on Google Chrome, you know, that you can like add to your computer that makes basically like hides your Facebook news feed and instead just shows inspirational quotes. What? So on your computer? So was, yeah, on your computer. So I mean, I've already taken it off my phone and I was like, I, the reason I want to be on Facebook is because there are some groups that I'm in that I'm like, I, I really, I get value from them. Right. You know, like, and I, I want to be able to have that resource, but I also don't want to like waste my time looking at my newsfeed when it's just whatever. I don't want to mindlessly scroll that. Yeah. So this, if you go to it, it just has like inspirational quotes and you can still see your notifications and stuff if you want. So you can go to somebody's 
page and see what they had to say if you intentionally want to do it, but you're not going to get sucked into scrolling through some bullshit that you don't want to do. So anyway, it is. Um, wow. I can, I can send you the link. We'll put it the link on our Patreon for sure. But yeah, I highly recommend it. Highly that is recommend it. so cool. Yeah. Man, thanks, Sal. Do it. Do I it. will. So I'm doing adding to Chrome right now. Right? Let's all get Boom. free, man. Okay, so that's that's my thing I love. And uh, so I think that's it. That's awesome. Great that's tip, our- Sally. You're the best. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right. Well, I guess that's number six to nine for you. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Did it feel like it? <laughs> it, <laughs> it felt a little dirty, Jan. I'm going to tell you. It felt a little dirty and confusing. So... Just about right. <laughs> well, just yeah. about right. Guys, thanks for another wonderful week of being uh, being who you are. I hope you guys are having a good start to your October. And Jen, I can't uh, believe you didn't do a Halloween quickie. Where's your themes? Oh, frick. All right, starting yeah. next week, starting next episode, Halloween quickies on the way. <laughs> on you have to the stop your way. COVID quickies. Well, I wrote this episode. We did. I did my stories before the first. So does that count? Yeah, that. But counts. okay. But going forward, we're 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 in full on Halloween mode. Don't forget, Jen. You make the rules. We make the rules. It's our podcast. That's true. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Uh, and, but you guys, whatever you want, tell us. <laughs> tell us your <laughs> podcast. You tell us what you want. Follow us on all the things. Please recommend us to a friend, rate and review, and uh, find us on Patreon. We would love all of that. Yes, and uh, get out there and do something dumb for love. Dum-da-dum, 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 dum-